0: This is getting out of hand. Now, there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? sequels suck.
1: Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. Whosoever holds his hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor
0: hey guys and welcome back to another episode of franchise fatigue this is a show where we talk about film series one movie at a time i am your host gabe green and as always i'm here with my co-host james hamrick what's up dude
1: oh nothing much uh finally feel like i'm having a bit more free time to to watch movies and and uh, enjoy some downtime so this past week's been pretty good
0: nice just wait till you start a job and that all just evaporates I uh, know. All right. So uh, we are currently working our way through the uh, phase one of the MCU. Last week we did Iron Man 2 and this week we'll be talking about Kenneth Branagh's Thor. And I feel like last week was a bit of a downer with that movie, but uh, I think this was going to be a lot more fun seeing as we both really, really like this movie.
1: Yeah. I I, I really like Iron Man 2, but that comes with caveats. Whereas with Thor, this is mostly just going to be some mostly uninhibited praise. Yeah.
0: Before we begin our discussion on that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please head over to iTunes and uh, leave us a rating and review and subscribe while you're at it. That would be very helpful. And if you want to follow us on Facebook, uh, you can keep up to date with all the latest episodes as well as give feedback that we will read on the show. And speaking of that feedback, I asked on Facebook what our listeners thought of this film. Hillary said, meh, and uh, I'll boo on you, Hillary."
1: James, not me. Uh, Some other James said, my least favorite of the MCU.
0: And uh, Aaron, an intellectual, said, (laughs) I love the Shakespearean take on the first Thor. It was somewhat different than the usual origin, but it also felt familiar. I thought Thor is highly relatable and his journey to being worthy of his hammer seemed like a parallel with being worthy of godhood and the duties that come with it. Good take.
1: Uh, Joseph, he's like brother to like me or something, uh, said, loved it fantastic shakespearean tale that was directed superbly by Branna also dutch angles
0: dutch angles indeed john said i liked it more than i thought i would uh
1: phillips said love it my second favorite of the mcu patrick doyle delivers the best marvel score that does a terrific job elevating the entire film
0: oh yeah and then on twitter our pal byron lafayette at byron lafayette said one of my favorite mcu films it's wonderfully filmed i like this another <laughs> And before we move into the main discussion, uh, we're going to dive a little bit into the behind the scenes uh, journey of this film from comics to the big screen. Um, so now it, it's, I guess it's pretty obvious that Marvel did not create Thor. Uh, but as far as comic iterations in 1957, Jack Kirby wrote and illustrated a Thor story for the DC comic series, tales of the unexpected. Uh, then in 1962, he along with Stan Lee and Larry Lieber, it's just all, it's always these three guys. Um, Created the character for the Marvel Universe in the Journey into Mystery series, and I, I love these the early uh, names for the series back in the you know, the fifties and sixties. They were a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, he then became a founding member of the Avengers the next year in nineteen sixty three. And over the years, he's made various uh, appearances in animated shows, and he even made an appearance in uh, Bill Bixby's The Incredible Hulk TV movie, The Incredible Hulk Returns. Uh, I've seen clips of that; it's somewhat dorky. <laughs> Then in uh, 1990, after making Darkman, Sam Raimi wanted to make a film with a character. He worked with Stan Lee to create a treatment. That they, then they pitched to Fox and it was rejected because a, uh, 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 Sam Raimi said that the studio had said, comic books don't make good movies. Hmm. Um, then in the late 90s, there was talk of a Thor TV series starring Tyler Maine. Uh, he's the guy who played Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie. Then in 2004, Sony bought the rights to the character with the possibility of David S. Goyer writing and directing. That guy's got like his fingers <laughs> in all kinds of comic book movies. So, that, But that never happened, and in 2006, Paramount acquired the distribution rights, and Marvel was laying the groundwork for the future MCU, and Mark Protusevich was hired to write the film. This, like Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk, was going to be independently produced by Marvel, in 2007, Matthew Vaughn was hired to direct the movie. He was then asked to rewrite Protocevich's script uh, in order to bring the projected budget down uh, from 300 million to 150 million. And the plan was to shoot it in 2008 for a June 2010 release date. Uh, but then in 2008, Vaughn left the project and uh, Gier- Guillermo del Toro was approached, but he turned it down to direct The Hobbit which also didn't happen. DJ Caruso was, uh, was also in talks to direct. Uh, thankfully, that did not happen. Uh, but in December of 2008, Kenneth Branagh was hired uh, to direct for a June for a July 2011 release date. I can actually find very few details about the, the actual writing of this film, along with uh, Mark Protosevich, uh, Thor comic writer J. Michael Strasinski has a story by credit. Uh, I really liked his uh, Superman Earth 1 series. As far as fully credited writers, X-Men First Class writers Zach Stentz and Ashley Edward Miller, they were brought on to rewrite the script. Um, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer writer Don Payne also has a story credit. Those three uh, share the main writing credits.
1: So when it came to uh, cast the film, for the character of Jane Foster, uh, Natalie Portman signed on, and you're going to see a common theme throughout some of these uh, casting decisions. There's a quote from her where she said, uh, I just thought it sounded like a weird idea because Kenneth Branagh is directing it, so I was just like, Kenneth Branagh doing Thor is super weird. I've got to do it. Here's another quote. It's not exactly about the the casting decision, but it's, it's kind of sad considering, like, after this, the character's kind of non-existent, but... She said, I signed on to do it before there was a script, and Ken, who's amazing, who is so incredible, was like, you can really help create this character. I got to read all of these biographies of female scientists like Rosalind Franklin, who actually discovered the DNA double helix, but didn't get the credit for it. The struggles they had and the way uh, that they thought, I was like, what a great opportunity in a very big movie that is going to be seen by a lot of people. To have a woman as a scientist. She's a very serious scientist because in the comics she's a nurse and now they made her an astrophysicist. Really, I know it sounds silly, but it is those little things that make girls think that it's possible. It doesn't give them a role model of, oh, I just have to dress cute in movies. Uh, but then Jane Foster just kind of disappears in the MCU. So
0: I guess she did feel the same way about Alan Taylor. She did Kenneth Branagh.
1: I guess not. Uh, for the character of Heimdall, Idris Elba was hired. <laughs> Elba said... Brenna called me up personally and said, I know this isn't a big role, but I would really love to see you play it. It's Kenneth Brenna. I was like, definitely. Something very annoying. Uh, The Council of Conservative Citizens um, proposed a boycott, insisting it was wrong for him to play a Nordic god, which, I mean, why are we even really caring about this stuff? But he kind of took that in stride.
0: I mean, I guess it does sort of make sense that a small insular community like Asgard is going to have... All, a wide variety of race but this movie really isn't concerned all that much with actual logistics so
1: and i mean it's idris elba why are you ever yeah. going to complain about getting idris elba in your movie uh for the character of dr eric Selvid, stellan skarsgard was hired and he said i chose thor because of director kenneth Branna. the script was nice and we got to rehearse and talk to the writers and do some collaborating in the process to make it fit us so i had a very happy time on it What I always try to do is immediately do something I just haven't done, so I get variation in my life. I've made about 90 films, and if I did the same thing over and over again, I would be bored by now. I try to pick different films. I go and do those big ones, and having done that, I can usually afford to go and do some really small, obscure films and experiment a little. So evidently, Kenneth Branagh's name has some real draw for actors. For the titular character of Thor, the role was initially offered to Daniel Craig without the need of an audition. That's such a different movie. I know, it's weird. I wonder what that would have looked like. Uh, He turned it down, however. Uh, Additionally, Charlie Hunnam, Alexander Skarsgård, Joel Kinnaman, Kevin McDid, Brad Pitt, Channing Tatum, and WWE star Triple H all auditioned. Alexander Skarsgård would have been funny. Yeah, some chemistry there. Um, Tom Hiddleston also auditioned, though uh, while he didn't get it. That wasn't exactly such a bad thing, and we'll obviously talk about that later. You can actually see
0: there's like a, a video out online of his kind of screen test with like is he shirtless and he's actually pretty repped with a hammer and all that.
1: It's it's so weird to see though. So Chris Hemsworth had only recently made the move from Australia and was finding difficulty uh, in finding an agency. Uh, he auditioned for the role was but was uh, turned down before the chance to actually do a, a screen test. Afterward, younger Hemsworth brother Liam auditioned and tested for the role, but he too was turned down. Uh, and Chris Hemsworth was actually shooting Cabin in the Woods when his current agent convinced Feige to let him do uh, another read again. Uh, Cabin in the Woods was directed by Drew Goddard and written and produced by Joss Whedon. Uh, and this was prior to Joss landing the Avengers job. And during that shoot, Goddard and Whedon were actually giving Hemsworth advice on how to play the character and which comics to read and stuff like that. Uh, and so once the actor was finally able to screen test, it became clear to, to Feige and Branna that, that this was going to be their Thor. Um, for the role of Fandral, uh, it was originally given to Zachary Levi, as I, I think a lot of people are aware of now, but he had to sc- step away due to scheduling conflicts, uh, and he was replaced by Stuart Townsend. But days before, Stuart was, uh, days before filming, Stuart was let go. Uh, and the role would later go to Joshua Dallas. That's what happened
0: with when he was playing Aragorn. Yeah, I
1: know this would be this is the second time he was replaced late in the game for a high uh, high-profile film. With the first one being Fellowship of the Ring, guy cannot catch a break.
0: Or maybe he's just bad to work with, or something.
1: Who knows? That's the thing. Like maybe he's not a bad actor. He's just not a not a good dir- uh, actor for a director. Something uh, between uh, between um. Townsend being let go and Joshua Dallas being hired, though, Dominic Cooper was also considered but turned down, but he would come back in a later Marvel film. Uh, for the character of Laufy, Colm Feor uh, was hired. He said the Shakespearean training he shared with Hopkins and director Branna helped keep production moving briskly. Uh, there's actually a. The set sounds really great, and apparently, like, there's a reason. In addition to just the prestige that he has, Branna just sounds like a great guy to work with. He said during the breaks, Tony, myself, and Ken would be. Uh, um, talking in these shakespearean shorthand about the characters and what they were doing what we thought uh-huh. they may be like and how we could focus our attention more intelligently these were discussions that took no more than a few minutes between takes but they allowed ken tony and me to understand uh each other instantly without ken taking an hour away to explain to the actors exactly what was going on so that was enormously helpful um for the role of Volstag it went to Ray Stevenson, which is actually the second Marvel role he played after playing Punisher in Punisher Warzone, which is one of the worst films I've ever seen. And he was also
0: considered to play uh, uh, Blonsky in Incredible Hulk.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, but a fun tidbit, Brian Blessed was considered early on. As Odin? As, uh, as Volstag. Oh. Uh, and for you who don't know that uh, We talked about him on our Phantom Menace episode He is Boss Nass And that would have been mm-hmm. an interesting character That guy is an interesting guy
0: <laughs> he's, a, he's
1: a hoot uh, For the character of Darcy Lewis uh, The role went to Kat Dennings For the role of his mother Frigga Rene Russo was hired For Odin, Mel Gibson was actually Initially approached for the role but he declined But mm-hmm. uh, and that would have again that would have been a different movie shortly after though Anthony Hopkins would accept uh he said uh, it's a superhero movie, but with a bit of a Shakespeare or with a bit of Shakespeare thrown in. I'm very interested in that relationship between fathers and sons. My father's relationship with me was cold; he was a hot blooded or a hot blood character to me, but cold when I was young, he expressed his disappointment because I was bad in school and all of that. He didn't mean any harm, but I felt I could never meet up to his expectations. Uh, and he would just go on to say he ends up feeling uh very similar to uh to both Thor and Odin. This seemed like a a role he enjoyed actually. Uh, for the character of Loki, Jim Carrey was shortly considered, uh, but after Hiddleston's audition for Thor, Brana became pretty immediately convinced that that was actually going to be their Loki. Uh, that would have been another interesting movie. It, I think it could have either been really great, or just you, Batman forever hammy and awful. Uh, for the character of Hogan, uh, Tana- uh, Tadanobu Asano was hired. Uh, and for Lady Sif, uh, it went to Jamie Alexander, but prior to her being cast, Jessica Biel auditioned for the role. And so as for all the cameos that we get to see, Clark Gregg returns as uh, Agent Phil Coulson. Maximiliano Hernandez plays S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Jasper Sitwell. Uh, Stan Lee and J. Michael Straczynski, uh, who is a comic book writer and artist, have cameos as pickup drivers, is one of Stan Lee's best cameos. Uh, Walter Simonson, who actually wrote some famous Thor arcs in the 80s, has a cameo appearance as one of the guests at a large Asgardian banquet. Uh, and Samuel L. Jackson and Jeremy Renner have uncredited cameos. Uh, as Nick Fury and the introduction of Clint Barton. So filming began
0: in 2010 at the Raleigh Studios in California. Branagh brought on Harris Zambarlikos as director of photography. Uh, they had worked together on one previous film, and he's shot all of Branagh's films since. Or, no, he, he didn't shoot the recent one, All is True, but that was just a tiny little film. He will have shot uh, Artemis Fowl, though. They shot on the uh, Sarah Pelon Ranch in New Mexico. It's essentially a fake old west town uh, where many westerns have been sh- and TV shows have been shot. They redressed the you know the town. This is, it's just a, a basically a fake set, but then they redressed the town from an old west setting to make it appear like a modern small town in New Mexico for the shoot. And they also blew it up to, as well. Uh, the production design was actually done by Bo Welch. Uh, he's uh, Tim Burton and Barry Seinfeld's guys. Uh, we talked about how wonderful his work was back in uh, Men in Black. Um, and he's also one of two production designers I actually know. For the post credit scene uh, with Fury, Selvig, and Loki, that was shot by Joss Whedon.
1: Like Iron Man 2 with Olivia Munn, scenes involving Adriana Barraza uh, were removed from the actual theatrical cut of the film during the editing process. And she only has a singular scene uh left in uh in april of 2011 uh imax corporation paramount pictures and marvel entertainment uh had announced that they finalized their agreement to release the film in imax 3d which is a continuing the partnership that they had started for iron man uh 2 um had said that the the 3d process initially made him cringe but he said uh we came to feel that in our case 3d could be a very good friend of story and character for a different kind of experience. Uh, though I wonder what he really feels about 3D, if that was actually what what he wanted. Uh, for this film score, uh, it was written and composed by Patrick Doyle, a frequent collaborator of Brana. Uh, Doyle described Thor as, "...the most commercially high-profile film I have ever done since Frankenstein." Um, and he said that compo- uh, the composing process... Uh, it was challenging because he had to try to find a, a tone that fit the duality of Asgard and Earth. Uh, so there was a lot of back and forth and conversation had between Doyle and Branna during the writing process. Uh, Branna wanted a more contemporary feel and having a balance between the music and the grand images that were not in any way hyperbolized. Um, and so the composer said, or so uh, Doyle said. Uh, he wanted to implement a strong sense of melody, uh, which he, Branna responds to in my work. Uh, Doyle actually comes from a Celtic background, so he was already familiar with uh, with North's mythology. Um, so he uh, kind of added this old Celtic folk song, uh, which was the inspiration for Thor's main motif. Which now I want to hear this folk song. Me too. Uh, also, the song Walk by the Foo Fighters is featured both in the film as well as during the credits. premiered at the Event Cinema Theater in George Street, Sydney on April 17, 2011. Um, and then it would open worldwide on May 6, 2011 in the United States. Uh, and a little fun fact, uh, it opened in 3,955 theaters, 214 were IMAX 3D, and 2,737 in 3D, which was a record amount at the time.
0: So James, uh, do you remember your first experience with this film? And uh, what have you, and how have you felt about it over the years since then? Uh,
1: so I remember the first time I watched it, um, I went to see it with both of my brother-in-laws, one of whom is a huge, huge comic book fan, uh, was really excited about what Marvel was doing, and he knew all about Thor. So I kind of had somebody to ask questions, you know, about who this is and who that is. And you know, I knew nothing about the character, so anytime anything would happen in the movie that I didn't know, he was over there going, like, yes, that's not," you know, just talking <laughs> about how cool it was. Uh, a memory that I, I have very clearly is uh, during the compound scene, whenever you see the hand come into frame, reach for the rifle, and then move over to the bow, he just lets out this, like, very just, instant like, yes! Uh, and so, I got excited just because it's fun watching <laughs> other people get excited. Uh, but I really, really loved it initially. Um, and I, I've loved it ever since. It was, uh, we, my younger sister saw it as well. And we all enjoyed it so much that, um, as soon as it came out to buy our mom, I, I don't know, she was at Walmart getting something, but she saw it and she bought it. And that became, uh, like one of our go-to movies. Um, it's weird to think because, you know, it's a part of the MCU and it's still this running franchise, but I was, I was a lot younger back then. I, I was still at home, like. I don't even know if I was... I wasn't even in high school at the time, I think. Uh, Regardless of of wherever I was, it was a movie that we watched day in and day out. Uh, That and Avengers and Iron Man 1 are probably the movies from the MCU that I've seen the most. Um, And then I went a while without watching it, so I always knew that I enjoyed it. um, But I kind of forgot about the film itself and then i think probably just a couple years ago re-watching it during a marathon and it completely reminded me of why i fell in love with it and i i would say i'm just as big of a fan now as as i ever have been
0: so i actually had a very different uh journey with this film i have a very clear memory of seeing the trailer uh when i was at i was i forget i forget what we were seeing but we were, we we're in the theaters. And the trailer came on and I thought it was the stupidest thing I'd ever seen because I wasn't aware that Thor was a comic. It's so like they're making a, like a big blockbuster action movie with the Norse god Thor in modern times. like Hollywood has truly run out of ideas. And I remember that and then I didn't think much about it since after that. And then after it come out, I know some friends of ours really recommended it. So we, we kind of sat down and watched it as a family and I really didn't like it. Uh, although at the time you're thinking I was coming off, you know, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, The Incredible Hulk, this original Spider-Man trilogy. I was really coming, I was really starting to love superhero films. And I came in, I came into this movie expecting a, a normal superhero movie, and it, it really wasn't. It, it felt kind of goofy and just very anticlimactic to me. I just, not, not, nothing about it really appealed to me. And so I spent a co- several years just not really liking this film. Uh, then over these, the, I rewatched it a couple more times, and it, something about it just started appealing to me. Um, I think probably just as the MCU grew, and I came to appreciate the character of Thor. I just after a couple more viewings, just something clicked, and I just I f- I figured out what the tone was that Brandon was going. I really started to appreciate uh, Thor Thor's character arc and Loki and Odin, all the different characters, just. Something about it clicked, and I just came to kind of love this movie. You know, so much so that me and you did an underrated episode on Thor a few years back. We just think this movie isn't you know nearly as appreciated as it should be. So yeah, I've I've really come on a long journey from you know not liking it at all to thinking you know it's my it might just be the most underrated film in the MCU for me at this point. So James, uh, what is it about this film that uh, that really works for you?
1: Um, the the main thing for me is is tone. It mm-hmm. doesn't exactly depart from i guess what would be described as you know like the marvel formula in terms of structure um though i think it definitely has things that even make it unique uh, on that front but this movie stands on its own in just presentation this movie is like one of the most open-hearted earnest pleasant movies whatever and especially so in the mcu um everything just feels so sincere here. Like the draw, like they care about the drama. They care about the humor. These lines aren't just because they need people to have like the humor is completely derived uh, from the characters and the characters and the situations they're in.
0: It's not, yeah, it's not based on snark, which is kind of what Iron Man's thing is. Like, it's not snarky. just kind of commenting and trying to, it's, it's not trying to kind of, Make fun of the situation around it. It's it's the the humor is much more character and situational.
1: Yeah, and so you know, I I may not be among all of the people who love that Thor got a a total rehaul later in the series because I really like the character here, and I I enjoy the like what you said the the humor here being just more more kind-hearted and, and sweet in its in its presentation as opposed to that, like really quippy, snarky like ah uh, the quote uh our friend Byron used before It's just the uh very good uh, another and he just he smashes it. and <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite moments is when he goes in to take a picture and Thor just has that giant goofy grin on his face. and it's just... yeah, that, that's
0: something I noticed in this last view is that we are constantly like the whole, it's a comedy. It's a fish out of water comedy of Thor in the modern world. Yet nine out of 10 films would have accomplished the majority of their humor by turning Thor into an idiot and having us just laugh at Thor. Like, Oh, he does these stupid things. He's from somewhere else. But Thor, even though he's walking around and going to pet shops, asking for a horse, he still comes off as, you know, intelligent and smart and, you know, capable Like none of it comes at the expense of the character. It's just, it's the, the humor, as you said, it's is, is, is kind hearted humor that it's, it's not there to just mock the characters. It's, it's just, it's all, it's all just in good fun.
1: Yeah. In good fun is like almost the best way to describe this movie. It's just, it's having a good time caring about its characters, caring about the way it presents things. And it's calling it Shakespeare light. I don't think is the right term just because light implies, you know, it's, it's a negative connotation, but it's, it's it's there's levels of shakespearean drama to it especially with the the main arcs like with with loki and thor and odin everything going on at its center it gets heavy when it needs to if
0: it were shakespeare they all would have died at the exactly. end
1: exactly but... and here we get to you know we get to have the drama and and no real deaths you know which which i guess is important <laughs> early on you know it's it's great that they didn't feel the need to like kill off you know all of their villain characters uh so we had to keep spawning new ones
0: yeah, and, and that tone, there's a sense of likability surrounding the whole film. This film is just – this film is just excited to be here. It's it's in the camera work and the editing and the, the cinematography. Branagh's just there's – a, there's a sense of energy behind the camera work. And I, you can tell that this is definitely Kenneth Branagh's first big blockbuster. There is some – there is a lot of kind of awkwardness and, and just – Kind of goofiness around the edges sometimes, especially in Asgard. Like, especially like in the first act when you're in Asgard, you can kind of f- feel the facade. Like you can see they're on sets. The costumes are a little bit silly. Oh, the
1: costumes are perfect.
0: Thor's costume is perfect. Thor's costume is, amazing. is
1: incredible.
0: Yeah, I was thinking more like the Warriors Three kind of thing. I even like them like it's it's like you can kind of see the edges. like you can, it feels like they're insets. The, the camera the camera work it feels a little constrained by that but there even then there's still a great energy to it like the, the way he cuts together and just builds the sequences it's always just moving and propulsive and there's always just something fun happening you know characters quips and it's just it's just this movie is happy to be here. And when the movie's happy, happy, I'm happy watching it.
1: And there's a level of like, of seriousness where it's not trying to be tongue in cheek with, you know, this, this film had the, the big task of introducing magic and, and cosmic elements into the series because, you know, Iron Man one and two are both really grounded. And, and even incredible Hulk is all about like this idea of like serums that we inject in ourselves. And it's, it there's we haven't really gone to anything completely out there and this movie from its prologue is introducing to like we got frost giants we've got gods who can summon lightning we've got the bifrost we got all of this stuff we're all thousands of years old and it just it like what we said with with the whole fish out of water and the fish out of water aspect to me can get annoying in a lot of films but here it's like this is my favorite i guess depiction of that or, or one of my favorites uh, because, like you said, it's it's not co- trying to mock itself. I think of the scene where uh, Thor is explaining to to Jane, Idrisil, um, uh, the the tree uh, with the with all the nine realms connected, and he's like, you know, like uh, I come from a place where science and magic is the same. But you could just so easily have her like make some sort of offhand joke, whereas I like, uh, no, we call it science. Like, well, well, yeah, it's magic and or whatever, but. It's just, it's presented like this is how it is. And and you've got the really, really sweet version of the Sons of Odin track played over that scene as they're talking. It's just, it's so nice in the way it presents these things. And it's not having to try to undercut itself or, or make it more palatable. Like, oh, it's, 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 it's really sad. Like, don't worry about it. It's like, no, it's just, it's presenting itself and it's existing.
0: Yeah. And just with that prologue, it's just like th- this is the realm of the gods and it's awesome and just, have fun like there's it there's it feels absolutely no need to explain itself to 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 um to kind of hold back on anything it's just we're just here in asgard these people are gods they know just heimdall he can see everything cool loki's a trickster it's just like this is just how the world functions and all the characters just accept that it feels kind of weird in this modern age where we, that we have to approach fantasy with an edge of cynicism. There's also, there's no, there's, there's no need for realism in the way, the way this film is presented. You know, As- Asgard is just shiny, you know, in Thor, in Thor two, that, you know, they were trying to make it more dirty and grungy and, and, you know, it works well enough in that film, but here everything's shiny. All the, the armor is shiny. Everyone's beautiful. It's just, this is the god. This is the realm of the gods. The no- normal rules and, and the way th- the way that you think things work, it's just not that way. His
1: the initial like coronation scene where he's he's walking in and you've got the swelling sons of Odin theme. You've got his incredible red cape and he's tossing the hammer and winking and it's just it's it's amazing. That and it wink,
0: it, that wink is beautiful. It is. It's a thousand gifts were born. I was about in. to say
1: one of the greatest gifts of all time. Uh, and so, yeah, just, like, that scene alone encapsulates so much of what I like about this, and, you know, the little offhand remarks from from Sif and for, it's just, it's such a, a great scene that fully embraces the idea of, like, this near-perfected society where, where the walls shine day and night, and, yeah, it's great.
0: It's eternal sunset, eternally golden hour. So, uh, uh, let's just, uh, moving into some of the characters, since we mentioned uh, Thor, uh, dude, what a find was chris hemsworth and like he's like later on we've seen he had some frustrations with the role i I don't know if i don't know if he had the same problems that he had that he came to have with the role in this film because he seems to be having a lot of fun even even if he prefers like a snarkier version that actually is laughed at he plays this version really well like there's there is so much just sincerity and boyish joy about this character
1: Yeah, there's, so it's weird where, you know, both he and Tony are are really arrogant and they both end up being likable, but they're, they're likable for totally different reasons. He's got a a very like Channing Tatum vibe, where it's just like, it's like this 12 year old kid in this big muscular man's body, where he's he's got that kind of like boyish grin and he just wants to go and fight something, but it's because he thinks it's the right thing to do. And it's kind of hard to get mad at him, even when he's messing up. He's, like, he's benevolent in his arrogance, while still very much being prideful. Uh, it, it they just manage to to create a character who is in need of growth without just making it unbearable to be with him. Uh, and something else I really like about the character is his arc. You know, it's a very it's a simple arc where he he starts out. He needs a lesson in humility. And how to rule rightly, and and this and that, uh, and he you know ends it noble and, and ready for kingship, and so it's it's very basic stuff, but the way it's played is just so much fun to watch. Again, because of the level of charm that he has, and like there's a lot of emotion in this movie. Uh, I, I think people underestimate. Uh, just how strong the dramatic scenes are here. You know, after after he comes here, or after he's, he's on Earth and he goes to the side initially and he tries to lift the hammer, uh, that scene with, you've got the really sad version of, of Sons of Odin playing, and and uh, mm-hmm. you've got people on the sides like like Colson and, and Clint just looking down at him as he just falls to his knees.
0: Something about that shot of like Coulson, like water dripping off his face, in kind of slow motion as he fails to pick up the hammers, is so tragic.
1: I know and it's, and it gives you all of the feelings you need in that scene. And then one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is whenever uh, Loki talks to him while he's sitting in the chair, and Coulson is gone, and and he's uh, Thor is told, you know, Dad's Dad's uh, in the Odin sleep, and no, he told his oh. father's father dead. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, I thought it would, he says something like, "Mother fears he." That that,
0: he, that was to the uh, the
1: warrior story Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. So he tells yeah he tells him that uh, their dad is dead, and that Chris Hemsworth
0: should have gotten an Oscar for this. Scene. It's so
1: good. like the the way he takes it. It's not that really annoying. Striking out like and it you know I I've seen a couple of times like people say that. That him becoming worthy is rushed. Like they're like, uh, it. Honestly, he kind of becomes worthy in that moment. And there's not really much of an emotional journey after it. But I don't think that's the case. And probably because I, of, I think of that, things that you said, that's just
0: part of what the character is. Yeah, you know?
1: like you said earlier, Lee, there, there is a lot of pride and, and need for humility there. But there is still like he's not a new person at the end of the movie. You know, he still has an understanding of the way things work and who he's meant to be and how he failed there. So, just the. The way he takes it in that moment, the sadness in his face is like heartbreaking.
0: And like, you forget, like, it's not just that scene, the entire film, like, when he's banished and his father casts him out, like, right then and there, he knew he messed up. Let's just go into the banishing scene, like, another one of the great scenes in the MCU. Ah! <laughs> yes. Uh, the best line delivery ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just that, the scene where, Every, I love how Brandon is able to just create these scenes where it's just like absolute chaos as far as the way the characters do. Like Odin's enraged. He pulls the sword out and just like throws it at a Heimdall. He's just like screaming at everyone. And then he just like attacks on Thor. And, you know, for a bit, Thor is you know, angry. His dad just treated him like a kid and embarrassed him in front of his friends. And his, You're an old man and a fool. Yeah, but then after that moment happens, it's like, and he says that, and Odin kind of gets really sad and serious, and you can just see that Thor knows, he's crossed the line, and he really doesn't say almost anything after that. As Odin's coming at him, he's like, this is is the All-Father, this is like the god of the universe, and he's really mad at you, and and he just becomes so small, and there's just the fear in his eyes, and he's like, he just does not know what's going on or what's going to happen to him. And so, like, from that moment on, you know, there's a change in progress. And when he hears the hammer has fallen, he assumes, okay, that's my test. I have to go, you know, and, you know, fight my way in as a mortal man and get the hammer. And then I'll be a God again. And I come home. And so the entire film, he's going to do that. And, you know, we have that and, you know, Branagh cheats as well with that sequence of, you know, it's a really fun triumphant sequence with a lot of energy. He's going and beating up all the guards. He even has the big final boss fight. Like the whole film, the cinematic language is telling us that this is the triumphal return of Thor. Even
1: teases with the thunder.
0: Yeah. Oh, Dude. The little smile and the little grin he has when Thor hears the thunder, like when he's putting the coat over Jade and the thunder comes, he kind of looks at the clouds like, "Yes, this is my, this is my ally. I know what's happening now." And so you know, he comes. The whole thing is leading towards triumph, and he can't lift the hammer. Everything he thought he knew and he believed about himself gone is destroyed right then and there. He realized, you know, his entire life believed that I am a god. You know, I'm you know I'm always right. I can do whatever I want. This is and now. He's just a mere mortal. He's a, you know, a mere insect as far as you know, as far as how he viewed himself before, he's become, you know, this completely unimportant thing, and he's been left to die on this mortal world with no plan, no instructions. He might be here for the rest of his life. And like he's, he's absolutely destroyed. And then, on top of having his entire worldview and self and self-perception destroyed, the next scene, Having Loki come and tell him, "Oh yeah, father is dead, and it's kind of your fault as well," as just another piece of himself is kind of destroyed, and all the pride, all the things he thought he knew about himself—it's all gone. And he's a—he's a, he's a complete different person. It's the way, like, just the line—the line of the video, you know, "Can I come home?" Like, it's like actual pecking and fear and sadness.
1: That line is so good. Like, it, its like. It feels like a kid, you know, just like after he's been in trouble and he's like just wanting it to be over and he's asking a parent or something. It's there's so much sincerity in the way he delivers it. And then
0: you're after Loki, pause, like, no, I'm sorry. Thank you for coming here. And I like for Loki, like, he doesn't even give Loki the chance to really gloat. Like, he makes Loki feel miserable for for how much of a dick he's being to him in that moment as well. Um, And then he's just released into the world. Like, all right, this is my life now. That Jane girl is kind of cute. I'm gonna go with her. It's like I, I, I kind of like that. This character doesn't mope. There's no brooding. There's no angst to him. You know, sure. The actual act of destroying his his worldview and self image that really hurts. But after it happens, like, okay, this is who I am now. This is where I am. And he just kind of keeps living. And I, I just there's something really fun about like that that kind of personal resilience he has and since we're kind of talking about the overall story um i i do have one major issue with this film and that's kind of that's the way the romance plays out i, th- I feel like the, the the second act in this film is kind of rushed i think a little bit of that does come to I, th- I think you know thor's arc might be a little rushed i think it's very well done um, but i think it the problem i have with a lot of blockbusters is time like uh, so many blockbusters, for some reason, happen in just a few days. You know, it's understandable they want to keep the momentum going and all that. But what that it may, it makes character arcs very hard to follow or very hard to be believable sometimes. Um, if you know, a character has you know a huge one eighty degree turn and falls in love and he has a lifelong and builds lifelong friendships all over the course of a weekend. It's, that's that's can be a bit much to buy.
1: You've never done that? No,
0: sadly not. So. I, I was thinking you know, that's kind of been my issue. It's my issue that we talked about underrated. But uh, th- th- this weekend, I was thinking about. It, I think I figured out a way that that could have been avoided. And I think after you know he fails to get the hammer, he has that conversation with Loki. Maybe he has that conversation with Selvig, uh, or you know, and maybe a- like after the rooftop scene with with uh, with Jane, what if we cut to one year later, and we come back. You know, Thor. Maybe he has a job. Maybe he's working with the team. But he's he's settled in. He's a human now. He's engaged to Jane. And then, the we get the rumblings from Asgard, where the uh, the Lady Sif and the Warriors Three they're starting to realize that Loki is not right because it's kind of ridiculous. Like the moment that they realize Loki's killing, they're like oh, he's bad. Like they, there's no real reason. They're never really given a reason for it. It's like. Oh, he's always been up for mischief. So he's evil and now we have to immediately go back to Earth and stop him. It's 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 kind of rushed as well. It's like allow that intrigue in Asgard to brew a little bit more till finally the warriors 3 they have no choice, they have to go to Earth and come back and and you know get Thor. And so for Thor, this is it, it makes you know, becoming Thor again a real question and a ch- and an emotional challenge. You know to where he has a life and if he becomes Thor will he be able to keep that if we'd be able to keep that life from now on. And I think it makes the grand resurrection, you know, after he sacrifices himself to look to the, to the destroyer and, you know, comes back as story, it would make that grand resurrection so much more impactful. But also I think the biggest point of difference it would have for this movie, if you give them a year, you know, him and Jane a year together is, you know, the choice to go back to Asgard, but mainly the choice to destroy the Bifrost. You know, if you destroy that bridge, you'll never see her again. Yeah. But you only met her last week. If he's, like if he's been with her for a year and he's engaged her, how much more powerful would that you know that I'm sorry, Jane, as he's destroying the bridge. You know, he's he's you know, he's the king. He has to make the hard choices to do the right thing to save these thousands of lives, even even if they're the lives of his enemies. He is the king, you know, he's 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 a god and he has to do it, but it's at you know, at the sacrifice of his personal life. It's pretty much the choice, very similar to the choice that Captain America makes in the next movie, you know, sacrificing his own immediate happiness for the long term good, and I, I feel like the rest of the movie, the first act could play out exactly the same, the third act could play out exactly the same, but only if you just made that little tweak in the second act and added a bunch, you know, added that time gap. I think this would be a almost perfect movie.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think the thing that I would have liked the most is the just what it would say about his character and like what you said, choosing to destroy the bridge. And it was, if that was going to happen, if that kind of story was going to happen, it would have to happen now because Lord knows current Thor wouldn't have have chosen people over his new friends, but we'll get to those frustrations.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I do think that that's kind of a flaw is just the way the whole romance. Let's just get get into Jane Foster now. And Natalie Portman gets a lot of hate. Um, I I don't remember throwing the dark world up to to know if she's good or bad in that film, but I like her a lot in this movie. You know, there's like there's not all there's not really any like drama or conflict to her character, but she's just a really likable person. Um, she's just fun. Like uh, her, uh, Kat Dennings and Stellan Garthgard have a really good chemistry together. It's just I you know, I like being with them. I think her and her and chris hemsworth actually have a lot of chemistry <laughs> is this how all humans react when they meet chris hemsworth or something but just they're like they're really good together there's something just very sweet and shy and chaste about the, the way their romance develops and just the, as you mentioned the scene where they're on the roof and he's just kind of explaining how the universe works it's just i like it i really like it a lot
1: yeah i i love her in this movie um may have been a a pretty big crush for me whenever this came out in twenty eleven. I, I also just really like the character though. Like there's there's not a whole lot on paper, you know. There's like you said, there's not really a whole bunch of drama going on with the character. There there's not it's not like she's given a lot of chance to to show off her emotional acting chops. But she still, I think, makes the most of every bit. Like there's a just the their playful like innocent banter back and forth is so much fun to watch. Like whenever he's talking about himself and she's like realm, realm, like what does this mean? And then, um, like when he comes back into her camper and she puts like the the bowl up in the cabinet. She's like, wait, that's that's not what to was. And she has to like go, and, you know, pull it back out. And just all of the lines, they're they're simple on paper, but she does something to like make something memorable about it. Like she finds a character there.
0: I think there's something going on with the way people meet Thor in this movie. For for, same for her and for Stellan Skarsgård, like both of them, I feel like knowing their heart of hearts that they have met something different. Like they have that that he is legit, and like both of them kind of have their own little journey about going to accept that. Where you know, for for Jane, she's you know she's made this study and you're searching the skies. And now the 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 very the kind of the, the personification of what she has studied the you know, the human embodiment of it is now in you know in her life like that, and you know that's why she keeps going after him even when it would seem like it's a bad idea. And for Silas Skarsgård, you know, someone who is Scandinavian or you know, for for Selvig, you know, someone who's a Sc- Scandinavian, and like this is part of his culture. He he just he wa- he wants to reject it at first, and, like he has his own little kind of mini arc where he just. Yeah, he's there to, he's there to protect Jane he doesn't know who this this kid is and he doesn't trust him but like I don't know, I think it's just it's, 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 I wish they played around a little more with that aspect but I think what's there is interesting
1: yeah and I mean like you said there there's a the dynamic between cat Dennings and uh Skarsgard and Portman is I could watch a non-superhero movie with just them and probably be completely entertained just because there's there's a real sense of like history with them. Um and I and I love Skarsgard's performance. Like this guy who really does just want the best for Jane, and he's he's kind of like taken it upon himself to to look after her since she's so ambitious, and like her her ambitions kind of maybe to him blind her from from some of the dangers of what they're doing. And so he's he's there to to protect her when she's not gonna be looking. And and I I love you know the scene where where he has the the boiler makers uh, with mm. with Thor, and he asks me like, "Hey, just I, I need you to leave just for, for Jane's sake. You can't stay here." Uh, and and again with with Skarsgård, there's not a like like Foster. There's not a whole lot on the paper, but what is there, he just takes and makes the most of. And I think he's got a really great sense of humor, and his timing is good. You know with the, the steroids. All of his line deliveries are great. <laughs> Like he's always really funny and likable, and he feels like his own character. You know, it's not just, oh, this is like the kind of like, well-meaning father figure who's got some funny like, like he. This is Doctor Eric Selvig. I. He's got his own very specific personality, and Skarsgård has a specific way of playing him, and it's it's just so much fun.
0: Yeah, and like he 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 has the intelligence, you know, to believe he's he's this you know this brilliant scientist, but also there is that like wisdom and empathy that he plays and like when he takes thor out for the drink and he's like he you know giving him genuine advice you know where he says you know it's not a bad thing to find out that you don't have all the answers because that's when you start asking the right questions like he's there to chase away this hoodlum that's coming after his girl but or you know kind of the girl he's kind of like taking a fatherly role over, but also even in the midst of that that scene where he's trying to make him leave He's also like giving him kind of fatherly advice. It's like they're just he's, he's just having this manly conversation with this dude, and that you know it's just he feels that it's what needs to be done, and he's just gonna do it. And you know if he can help this guy as well, he'll do that. It's just
1: he's just a good guy. Yeah,
0: he's he's just a good guy, and Kat Dennings is just fun. Like they way over overplay her in Thor: in The Dark World, but I, I just like something about the dynamic of a political science major who is the only applicant because it will give her some credits. Like she, you get like she's smart, but not about any of the things they're dealing with. So she just kind of just checks out about everything, and just kind of living at her own pace in her own world as all this stuff is going on.
1: She's also got just like really good line delivery. Like after they turn them over, and she's like, "I totally know mouth to mouth," and just all the the tasing <laughs> comments and, and everything. Like she, she unlike the dark world and, and i still kind of like her in the dark world i don't hate her like a lot of people do but but here like she's here in just the right amount to never be annoying and like every joke with her lands you know she's she's that third person in their dynamic that uh that's just a, a really fun like outsider to play off of
0: <laughs> the little half curtsy she does after thor passed her
1: <laughs> i love that part <laughs> the way after it she just kind of like looks back at Selvig, it's
0: and uh, some move back to asgard uh with uh, the best MCU villain, or maybe I don't know—is uh, you Loki or Thanos? That's gonna be a that's gonna be interesting. But uh, for now, at least, and for a long time afterwards, the best MCU villain with Loki. This character is amazing.
1: <laughs> that's that's all that needs to be said. He's amazing.
0: Yeah, uh, just like right from the opening with them as kids, you see the beginnings of their rivalry. You know, only one of you can ascend to the throne, but both of you were born to be kings. Just like thanks, Dad. All th- I like that. There's something interesting this film does where Branagh doesn't try to make it a secret that Loki is a villain or that he's going to be the villain. Like, sure, it's not out and out reveal that he's truly the bad guy until like, you know, halfway through the film where he he goes to Jodenheim and tells Lafayette about his plan. But like if you're if like for anyone paying attention, like he's pretty much telling you that this guy's up to no good. Ever since the, you know, right from the start, you know, even in the coronation scene where he's, you know, Thor, my firstborn. And it, we cut to Loki, Loki, Uncomfortable. And th- there's a lot of cuts to Loki, looking Uncomfortable throughout this
1: film. The cut to him during the, the arguing scene, like with Thor and Odin, is just so great. Where he's like...
0: He's just got hes just like looking back and forth. Like, he's okay. like
1: any other sibling who's like happens to be in the same room when their their other siblings getting yelled at. Like, oof, man,
0: I don't want to be here. Uh but like, I, I think it was good about that is like even you know they're laying all the seeds for who he is all throughout the first act. So like, if it had been a twist build, if he had been perfectly nice up until that moment, I think it would have taken away that entire half film of empathy that we're building for him as a character. You're seeing. Kind of the pain and the fear and like and you finding out that he might be a frost giant and you know very much like Thor, his entire view of self and the things he believes to be true are you know being taken away and I I, I just find it interesting the, the whole thing about you know he is the trickster and he you know, he's incredibly intelligent he has all these grand plans and like actually kind of very brilliant plans but the reason he fails is that all of his plans. Are are like just built off of his emotion, his emotional needs, and his, whatever pain he's feeling at any given moment. So he's like constantly changing his plans to to to, to to you know. When, if he gets hurt, he'll you know shift his plan to, to you know to solve that. And so it, he just keeps he just keeps building and building on these schemes till they just become untenable and fall apart on, on their own. Even though they were well laid schemes, just because he's so he's just a a creature of pain and just lashing out at all the things, you know, the ways he thinks he's been wronged. you know, in this case, you know, as someone, I love the line from the Avengers, you know, where I remember a shadow. That's
1: exactly what I was thinking of right now. You know, li-
0: living in the shade of your greatness, where, you know, the, the classic, you know, second brother syndrome, where, you know, he's the one, he's the one with the ambition. He's the one who, you know, he he's a lot smarter than Thor. And, you know, in his mind, he should be king, but he's kept back for reasons that, you know, were are not his fault. Which we find out to be that he's actually a frost giant, in the best scene in the movie when he just completely explodes on Odin. And dude, Tom Hiddleston in that scene is so incredible. I love
1: where he like you he, never have a frost giant sitting on the throne you
0: know, of Asgard. Uh, that's the monster that you the parents tell their children about. Like where he's just like he can't even get all the words that have been building up for years out of him in this moment. Um, but also like, the, the way the relationships work where. Like I think he he genuinely cares about Odin. Like when he when, when he collapses, like it looks like there's genuine worry in his eyes. Um, but he's always gonna choose himself, and you know, try try to do the thing that'll make that'll you know, fix his pain. And so the the whole plan about you know, destroying the frost giants, you know, to prove that he's the worthy king, and that, to go through, to go through all of that. And to still have his father say, No, Loki, as you, he's like, I could have done it, father, for you, for all of us. And all of that's just thrown back in his face. Even though he's been the villain just doing horrible things throughout the entire film, Odin's comeback still really hurts.
1: Yeah, it's this, to me, the reason that he works so well as a character is because I do think that. He thinks he's the best role for it. He thinks that this is the right thing. And he does have a level of care and concern. Like, like whenever his, whenever Ode collapses, you know, like that sense of panic. I don't think it's like this, uh oh, things aren't going according to plan. He's this is his dad, and he seems genuinely concerned. There's there is a love. Even after learning about the lie, there's still love from Loki towards him. And that that line that you just uh, quoted, like that the ending scene with him, uh, whenever he's shouting like for all of us, for you, like I think in a way he means that. You know, it's it's not, and it's also why I'm I'm too glad uh, that that they didn't do like this pull the rug out from under you and show you that he's a villain, um, because I think that by being with him through all of it and seeing his frustrations and experiencing like the concerns he has and stuff it just it makes him a really sympathetic character and and in that moment you know when he's he's shouting that to to his father i'm kind of just wishing he'd be like not say something else but just like there would have been an opportunity for a reconciliation and and there's such heaviness to the words like no loki and when he lets go, it means something because we've actually come to care about him. And I don't know if they knew that audiences would respond so positively, but man, what a jackpot we hit with Thor and Avengers back to back with this character. Yeah, yeah. And then speaking about that scene, you know, we talked about how this this feels more obviously like Bran's first big blockbuster. I love their last fight scene. I. I love the color. There's something... The the blue and white of the lightning in in the Bifrost. The Bifrost
0: itself is uh, beautiful. Such a cool design. It's such
1: an amazing design, but like with like the the lightning freezing up and you just got the whole scene with this bluish gl- uh, glow and Loki's like golden green outfit with Thor's black and red like the way the colors interact the environment in that scene and Loki stabbing the staff into the ground and jumping and kicking like I love that fight scene I love the colors I love the the different moves it's to me a lot of the problems with some of these blockbusters end up happening in the third act. You know, as much as I love Iron Man 1, you know, the third act is kind of just where it loses momentum for me. But I love this third act so much. I think it's arguably like the strongest portion, this in the, the first bit. Yeah. It's,
0: it's just you know, two people with immense emotional pain and problems you know, attacking each other, trying to, to, you know, figure out their lives. And it's, 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 it's pure drama. It's not just going for the big action for big action's sake. You know, the movie has big action, but it's all it's all about story and characters. But like going into other action sequences, like all throughout the film, there is never a moment of action for action's sake. Every action scene is directly telling us something about the characters. You know, from the frost giant battle, which is, you know, illustrating, you know, Thor's arrogance, is also giving us world building about you know showing us how awesome his hammer is and his you know showing us all the characters' powers. But it's you know it's, it's 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 showing us his arrogance and why he has to change. Then you know, with the fight, then you have the fight in the compound uh, where he goes to steal back the hammer, and that's you know that that whole thing is you know that fight, the final fight nail in the coffin of his own self esteem and all that, and then the you know, the the battle with the destroyer that's his ultimate sacrifice. Like every every action beat in this film is you know, completely entrenched, entrenched in story and character. There's never a moment of action for action's sake,
1: and they never outstay their welcome yeah. either. And and they're still like you said they're grounded in character, and we don't. It, it, they, they know that they're grounded in characters so we always get like close-ups on our, our heroes and stuff and it still feels personal
0: yeah and this brings me to my second big problem with the film you know this the rush second act and I think Kenneth Branagh it has a lot of issues with action like and it's not a lack of ima- imagination or a lack of enthusiasm because like he really seems to be having a lot of fun there's there's so much creativity with how these action scenes are shot and staged. Uh, I think you know they, they're very they're, they're well paced there's a there's a really good clip to them but I I, I feel like especially in this film I, I it almost feels like he just did not give enough footage while shooting these scenes like he like just not enough coverage so when they were in editing, it just feels like cuts like see shots will cut to other shots where the continuity doesn't feel quite right or or just it it's just there's a lot of like awkward weird cuts and just the way, and or like speed ramping, like like very subtle think changes in speed to like to make the timing right. We just it just feels like when he was shooting, he didn't quite know what he needed. So he just he got a bunch of shots, and then like it kind of paid for that in editing, but just not having the footage to make the action look as smooth as it should. Like there's just a lot of little janky bits and quirks throughout. Do you notice that at all?
1: Um, kind of. I to me, I think my only real problem uh, with action is just it's like just. With the Frost Giant battle, sometimes it feels like it's just inserts of, of individual isolated things happening. Like, wouldn't it be cool if um, Fandral did this? Wouldn't it be cool if Thor did this? And so it's like, we cut to Thor doing this, and then we cut to Fandral doing this. It doesn't feel like a, a bigger battle. It feels like like five small little battles, and then you stitch it together in the editing. I think it still works well. still. I mean, oh, one, Jotunheim like is an amazing design. Uh, the place looks awesome. And I love the design of the Frost Giants. Oh, yeah. The, the um,
0: practical makeup and just, it's, just little, you know, just the people standing there. See what they do for the different Prosthetics
1: and color. It really does make a huge difference having something actually there. Um, and then, and w- the, uh, the Destroyer battle, I mean, it's, it's always disappointing to me. I get the idea. Like, you know, Thor is back in his full power. So he just, like, wipes it out. But, uh, it feels a bit anticlimactic. Um, Although
0: the, the shot of him but, walking out of the smoke with cars falling <laughs> behind him is so yeah, epic.
1: that's awesome. Uh, but fortunately, like we said, there's not there's never just action for for action's sake, and it never goes on too long. And the movie feels a lot more like a quiet character drama, anyways. So, you know, it'd be one thing if this was this huge action blockbuster, but I really don't think it is.
0: Yeah, normally like like action this you know this flawed would be a huge problem, but. Again, like the the enthusiasm that Branagh brings to it, and the creativity. There's always, there's always something cool or fun happening. Just all the different ways that Thor uses his hammer in that first fight, like where he's like hitting the ground and just kind of spinning around. Just, oh, I love it. There's always something fun happening. They're always really well paced. Uh, the whole movie is really well paced. This, this movie just it moves there's the, the, even like the, the, just the the dialogue scenes there's always a purpose it's just it's just it just feels like we're always going somewhere with this movie
1: and and on the subject of the frost giant's uh I love the character of Laufey you know he's he's not really the main villain cuz we get the loki reveal though we, you know it's it's teased uh but I think he he serves the function he needed to so well like his voice is awesome he feels like this ancient Creature with all of this background with, with yeah, Odin. He's a grown
0: up. Him and Odin are grown ups. And yeah. Everyone else is children.
1: Yeah, you've got you've got Thor and Thor's like frost giant equivalent with a run along little princess. Um, and there they these guys are the leaders of these realms. Uh, and then speaking of Odin, I I love Anthony Hopkins in this movie. Uh, you know, we've already talked about the banishment scene, but. I just got to go back there to, to praise Anthony Hopkins acting. Um, uh, he's got just a, a very real sense of like time earned wisdom. Uh, he's, he's very aggressive, you know, and he really just pats Thor down like a, like he's a little cub. Um, uh, but he's he always feels so in control of the situation. And it's like in real life, this is the guy that you like you want to make sure is there if anything goes wrong. Like he just feels like he was born to be a leader on this scale and he plays it that way. Um, but he also plays a genuine like love and concern for his kids. And I, I also just I love his reading of the, the spell he puts on Mjolnir where you know as as sad as he was and i think you know we see that it gave him a lot of pain to to banish thor but we hear that like that hope and expectation that thor is going to change when he says that like this is his plan as he sends it there so just everything about his performance and and the scene with loki whenever he's trying to justify what he did you know uh defending his, you know his actions you know, trying to, to argue that it, he, Loki wasn't just a bargaining chip to him. He's a son. It's whenever the character gets emotional, it's just so good.
0: Yeah. I like how he has completely different, uh, you know, modes of communication and relationships with Thor and with Loki he, with, with Thor, the way the when they're kind of communicate, like he, I feel like. Odin feels like he has to maintain this like really rigid position of strength. He can't, he'll, he won't, he won't acknowledge any points Thor makes. He always has to just, just bat everything down. And, you know, he's the all father. He's right. You're an idiot child. Shut up. And, you know, it's kind of like this very old fashioned view of like a stern father, you know, he's, 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 he's pretty much right in everything he says, but just the way he approaches it is not, is, is only kind of, you know, infuriating Thor. But also then when he approaches Loki, he's, he comes with a much more delicate tact. Like he knows he's probably, he's wronged Loki. He knows he's made mistakes there. And he also, he probably realized how much pain Loki is in. He comes with a much more softer and more understanding approach. Um, he feels like a real father with these very complicated relationships with his two sons. Um, and there's a really good scene with him and his wife and then Frigga that was cut from the movie, which is kind of sad because I think Rene Russo is pretty wasted, you know, for her role in this movie. Like, it's not until Endgame that she actually gets her due. <laughs> but there's actually a really good scene where she kind of comes to him and ple- pleads to, uh, for him to allow Thor, and there's a kind of a really intense emotional argument between the two that was deleted, unfortunately.
1: Oh, the movie is so perfectly paced, I feel like you could have inserted an extra scene and not really feel any, any halt. Mm-hmm.
0: Last couple of characters we're going to talk about. Uh, you have Heimdall as played by Idris Elba, and this is—he is like the definition of badass. There's something so just cool and composed about him. You know, he—he speaks in this deep monotone. He—he he barely moves a muscle, but there is this sense of just like perfect loyalty and honor and total self-possession that he—he he just carries. Um, like he. You know he sees everything. He knows everything. No one, no one can deceive him, and he's better than you. And he knows it. It's just, it's awesome.
1: And it's like, there's, there's nothing so like, it worthy to be excited about as having Heimdall on your side. Like whenever he's talking about the treason that they're committing, (laughs) he's like asking if that's their plans, and he's like, good, and he he completely joins them. Or no, he doesn't join Uh, them. he doesn't, oh, stop he doesn't. You're right. Complicated fellow, isn't he? He allows it. It's like when your 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 older brother comes to your side or something like that. The person that you need on your team has like joined. It's like it legitimizes everything you're trying to do just because of how we don't see him really do anything. But he just he looks so powerful. His voice is so amazing, and they established his position so well that like the second those contact lenses. Oh, they're so cool. And so it's like you understand what it means for him to like one for the what what it's got to feel like to find out that he was fooled and then to be like okay well, well now we've got him technically on our side it's just such a such a cool moment. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love when Loki Loki's like hey Heimdall you're not just womanly enough. And like he just you can't <laughs> deceive him. Or <laughs> I love like when uh, when the when there's the warriors 3 and Safer scheme you know you're, you're quiet. Heimdall might be listening. Heimdall demands your presence. We're doomed. <laughs> oh, and my favorite line from is, after uh, Loki banished him: "Like you know, then I need no longer obey you." And just goes to chop his head off. It's he's so awesome. And then there's the Warriors Three. I, I feel like Lady Sif and the Warriors Three are they're acting in a slightly, campy mo- a slightly more campy movie than everyone else. There's a level of goofiness that doesn't quite gel with how emotionally real and raw you know loki and thor and odin are for you know for for the longest time they kind of annoyed me they were a really big sticking point in this last viewing i kind of just accepted you know i i realized that there's there's something different going on with them but I i just i just have fun with them now
1: yeah i mean i think one the movie is just earnest enough and takes everything in stride so well that they don't really stick out too much like And even if it's a bit stylized and exaggerated, it's still like an exaggerated version of what the movie already is. To where it's like, the humor is it like the humor is in line. It's just a bit more. uh, But I still end up. I've I've always kind of loved the characters. I I love the line. Do not mistake my appetite for apathy. Like uh, there's barely anything there, but somehow like. I love the costumes. I love the big red hair and beard on him. I think Jamie Alexander looks super cool as Sif. Uh, Robin Hood looks <laughs> awesome. Uh, I, I like the way they all look, and for as little screen time as they have, again, they there seems to be a genuine history. You know, as Thor is recounting everything that they've done together, and it's like you know, who proved the, I forget what Thor says to ladies. Like I did. It's like, right, but I supported you. <laughs> like, as he goes through all of it, it seems like they're recounting real stories. Like there's a, as silly as they can be, there seems to be a genuine bond that exists. And I, I always really have a lot of fun. And whenever they, they knock on the glass and they're sitting there. Found you. I, that image is awesome. I don't yeah, care. The,
0: the visual comedy is great. And um, then you'll is just, he's awesome. <laughs> like I don't know how you don't hate him. Just how absolutely smug he is when he's stealing all of Jane's stuff. Like he won't even apologize. But still, you can't hate him. Like why? How, how does that work?
1: Doesn't make any sense. He's he exudes like this level of likability because it's not like that. Like I'm really cool and I know he's just he's there to get his job. It to me it's almost like he treats Shield just like it's it's an everyman's job. Like this is his nine to five. I'm here. I'm just trying to get it done. You know, like I. I know what I got to do. I'm not going to hesitate to do what I got to do. I'm not going to be mean about it. I just got to get in and do my job, get out. Like it's, it's such a fun character. And I love that was the moment whenever he sees the destroyer is one of the, the moments that really started. Yeah. That really started to make the shared universe feel like it. this was going somewhere. It's like, I don't know. A like guy never tells me anything like what that's. Iron mean, Man's not in this movie, and they just—they're talking about Tony Stark. What's going on? It was—it was such a cool moment.
0: After uh, Thor kills and destroys, like you, Donald, I don't think you've been completely honest with
1: me, <laughs> son of coal. <laughs> the last moment that I, I got to bring up is what I consider to be one of the best Stanley cameos.
0: <laughs> I feel like this is what a Brit thinks America is like, and it they're not wrong.
1: wrong in doing so because me. Whatever I watch this scene, I'm like, yep, that's like I love it. I love that we see a giant crater and we just throw up some grills and bring out our pickup trucks. I'm like, man, that's perfect. Uh and is the delivery of the the quote and the way it fits in with like where we left off with Iron Man 2, it's just it's such a fun scene. And I love Thor's look whenever he hears about like there a, a down satellite that no one can pick up and like the smile he has, like, oh, I know what this is.
0: Uh, just one last thing, yeah. Uh, we we talked a lot about, you know. Uh, brown's direction but we didn't really talk about this his visual direction this is a beautiful movie like it's very highly saturated very colorful but not so much in like the really exaggerated orange and teal blockbuster look but it, it still has a really strong sense of color um just there's so many beautiful compositions like you know dutch angles be damned this movie looks beautiful and i i don't know why he shot everything like i'd say what's of the shots are Dutch angles about maybe
1: (laughs) probably it is.
0: It's weird, but they look good. They still look great. And uh, just the, and not just the composition, but the camera, the camera movement, you know, it's, it's all part of that sense of energy that this, this movie has. Uh, uh, And I I love the way he shoots night scenes. Like he, he's like, like he's not going for real, just like a, a spotlight off. Like, it's really bright light to where everyone is, like, blasted with harsh light. There's a lot of profiles, but it looks really beautiful. Especially in this the, uh, the scene where Thor infiltrates the compound and everything's wet and it's raining and there's just the bright lights everywhere. Oh, it looks so good.
1: Yeah. One of the biggest compliments I can give it is I hate, typically, Dutch angles. <laughs> and I adore the way this movie looks. So, it's doing something right. And I, he also, like, he gives the locations their own, like, cinematic identity in terms of, the like, the way he shoots it, where uh, I think we have uh, a lot of, just like, slow pans in, in Albuquerque. Like, he finds a way to just make it feel like this small town. Like, I love the shot mm-hmm. where it starts out on the street and just kind of slowly pans up to them on the roof
0: dude
1: it's so cool. there's so many like little moments It just, he makes it feel so quaint and nice and then you know he'll sweep through the rainbow bridge in asgard and uh there's i don't know what it is about it but i love it whenever uh they get back from the odinheim for the first time and uh odin throws the sword the camera's just circling around the scene the whole time it looks so cool um so yeah it's he's got all these weird quirks and they're all here, but they, they all feel purposeful and they, they just help the movie have an even stronger sense of identity. I just, I love the way it looks. Yeah. And I, like
0: Speaking of tone, I, I feel like Kenneth Branagh is, is a lot like Peter Jackson. You know, he doesn't have the kind of the gross out horror vibes, but there's, he's able to create these fantasy settings that have just perfect sincerity where there is there's absolutely no question like th- this is real these are real people real problems there's th- we we don't we don't have to like make fun of ourselves and and comment on how ridiculous these things are and like I, I just I, like you know you can have fantasy like that and there's plenty of fantasy that, that kind of comments on stuff that works but i think like we the when you want to get those huge emotions like we can get with lord of the rings like we can get in these movies there's just a a level of sincerity that if if it goes too far you can just get a bad movie and and the filmmakers don't even realize it's a bad movie and that it's just it's it's like you're kind of making fun of it as you're watching it to enjoy it but i don't know just something about the way he's able to balance his tone is just that perfect he just rides that line perfectly of just absolute sincerity you know to whatever emotion he's going for but while also and, and but it, it but also just you know having fun like Having fun while being really sincere is its an odd mix, but it, it just works here.
1: Well, it's just, it's such a pleasant kind of fun. where it's like, you, there's no, there's no guilt. There's just innocence in it. Yeah. Like you, you think
0: like m- most movies, like with a really fun tone, they do that by, you know, kind of just making fun and constantly commenting. Like, I feel like Ed, like Edgar Wright or something where it's all, the whole thing is like really meta and comedy, but he's able to have that sense of fun, that sense of chemistry and momentum while just while also just playing it totally straight, it's it's a really valuable talent that I wish you know more filmmakers were capable of uh of um you know executing. All right, I, I think we've pretty well covered this film. I I really really want to talk about this score. Uh, please tell me you were able to listen to this this uh the
1: musical score. Yes, I did. Good.
0: Yeah, this is my favorite music in the MCU. Patrick Doyle, you know, it was able to just perfectly compliment this movie it's grand operatic it's just it's full of enthusiasm and joy the percussion is very interesting it almost like i it's really cool it, it almost sounds like hammers on an anvil or something uh that was that was really unique um it feels a lot like the the uh the first iron man where the the score provides this very strong musical identity and sound you know it doesn't sound anything like iron Man, but it's that same that same kind of idea I like the way it starts out really brash and bold, but that kind of matures and softens and something kind of like almost kind as it goes on, which is, you know, it's it's, it's it's storytelling through music. And I think this is the, these are the kind of scores that I really love talking about because they're, they're, just, they're, they're, they're not just like doing their own thing. They're really complimenting the movie every step of the way. It's just listening through the score. Like you, it, you're, you're literally following a story. And it's just really wonderful to listen to.
1: Yeah, it's. it's, I I compare it, especially Sons of Odin, kind of similarly with uh, the the main battle theme from like *Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe*, where it's like this is fantasy. This is. It's. It very much falls in line with like the, the big epic kind of like heartfelt fantasy music without feeling like just one of many of a variation like that's definitely what it falls into but it's completely unique to itself like you play this track and i instantly know that's sons of odin
0: this is so perfectly suited to this huge epic but also it's like unlike the iron man theme which kind of has to be played as rock and roll this you know the sons of odin theme can can be you know adapted to almost any tone and like listen to this score I'd say about seventy percent of the tracks have the Sons of Odin theme in there somewhere, but it they cover all kinds of different um, emotions. Um, you have the main one, which is this you know really bold and brash one. We have the like the, the percussion, which always gets me really excited, and it's just soaring and epic. Um, you know, it comes you know that that loud brash sound is also in right at the observatory. It's just that moment of pounding, like before the theme really kicks mm, off. It's so great. And then you know you have uh, Thor kills a destroyer that also has the really bombastic sound. Uh, then it's also there's another track where it feels like they play as like ancient and noble in a new king, where you just have the it's like very solemn and proud and full of history and memory. Then like there's a so- sad and somber twist to it, which which plays in a lot of them, uh, like like banishment, um, where it's like it's like the slow sadness and building dread or.
1: When it plays in the compound, it's just so heartbreaking.
0: Oh, yeah. Where it's just, just full-on tragedy. The whole thing, it's been building excitement and, 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 and then all of a sudden at the end where it, it's you know, the, the Sons of Odin theme is just a tragedy. But also then, then there's like another where it's like a, a sad yet also kind of kind and healing sound like in Loki's Lie or Forgive Me. Um, where It's just this really soulful and... I, I just said kind
1: it's weird how descriptive that is of it
0: yeah and then also um then the, the final version uh would be and then, then another version where i said tragedy where after you know, letting go where he plays it in like a really heartbreaking piano solo which brought me right back to uh to to justice from murder on the orient express mm-hmm. like patrick doyle and his piano solos are so good like he just starts on the piano solo then just slowly brings in the other instruments. And I just want to cry. It's so beautiful.
1: It is amazing just how, how the music's able to guide you and how it's like, I recall a specific scene and the, it's not, I'm not just seeing the images in my head and hearing the lines. I'm hearing the music and it really does affect my enjoyment and experience uh, for the better. Like I always get so happy and excited at the end of the movie, like as as he's standing by Heimdall, and he asks, you know, if he sees her, you know, like she looks for you.
0: And that was actually my uh my the next track on my bench was the oh you know, can you can you see Jane, and it's it's the the Sons of Odin theme. I'm gonna say Sons of Odin a lot. It's <laughs> it's playing on cello. It, like I feel that theme has gone a journey because it's it's present in like seventy percent of the tracks. And we've seen it in so many you know, loud and brash, you know, tragic, triumphant, you know, heartbreaking, soft and quiet and sweet. And it's finally this like this cello. It feels like the track, the, the the theme has completely matured. And it, like it's it's just it, it. My heart feels so full. Just it sounds so cheesy, but like you really just feel emotionally satisfied listening to this final track.
1: Every time this movie ends, and we we hear that music, and we see those last images, you know, and we cut to her, and she's looking up. I just, I, one, I do have a, like a lot of nostalgia attached to the film because of how much we watched it. But even still, I'm sure like if I watched this movie for the first time, that scene is just done so well with that music. And it is amazing the the level of nuance and vary in the variation of the, of that main score, because it's not just happy, sad, epic. It's like sad and sorrowful with no hope, you know, or, or in that moment, like where it's like, hey, we're we're feeling like we can be happy like like Mm. all is not right but there's a reason to be hopeful like the fact that that level of nuance in a sentence of like things aren't perfect things aren't great again crap has happened but we might be able to get through this and there's still reason to be hopeful like that sentiment is fully present in that variation of the music
0: yeah there are a couple of the themes i wanted to talk about like i can't figure out if it's the bifrost theme or the theme for earth I mean, it shows up in "Chasing the Storm," "To Jotunheim," and "Hammer Found," as well as a couple of the tracks. But there's like a sense of like apprehension, but also like when it when it, it fully kind of goes into itself, it's like this like wonder and exploration. Um, it's just a really f- kind of fun, exi- you know, energetic little theme. Then there's the battle theme, which it shows up in "Frost Giant Battle," which is a track I really, really love.
1: Really
0: just it's, it's so exciting and propulsive. It, it just ma- it's like perfect action music then there's the destroyer which has like the the earth theme mixed with the with the frost giant battle theme kind of mixed together and that, that theme also comes back in the compound in the first half where it's like a smaller urgent almost almost like a spy movie sound of that theme kind of plays through as he's going and you know punching a lot of guys uh that's before you know, it, you know bursts out into the the the, tra- the tragedy as he can't lift the hammer
1: that's one of my favorite tracks because of because of how long it is, it packs so many different sounds into it. And they're all like perfect versions of that sound that, that it is.
0: Yeah. It's just a really rich score that uh, it's, it's, as I said, it's storytelling through music. It makes, it makes listening to the score on its own outside the film, just a full rich experience on its own. But like, you know, when coupled with the film itself, it's, it's awesome.
1: The last track that I want to highlight is science and magic. Uh, this plays whenever they're on the roof and he's explaining to her Yggdrasil and everything. And, and again, like like the ending scene, it's like you can take what this scene is with just like this very earnest, kind way of explaining all of these different realms. And you've got the, the look where he's looking down at the paper and she just looks at him and smiles. It's just such a nice, sweet moment. And you take everything that that, that scene is about and you make it into a musical theme. and a it's, it's so perfect.
0: And I think the criticisms of the Marvel music are very legitimate. I think part of that, as I said, you know, Iron Man's theme is very difficult to adapt to various emotions. I think the Incredible Hulk's theme as well, it's a, it's a good theme, but it's like, it's just, it's it's all about dread. And like, you can't, it's it's just this kind of march of dread. And you really can't adapt that to all kinds of different circumstances. So it only fits in that one movie. Um, whereas this theme, I think, could have been used, if you know, Brian Tyler could use it, could have been used, you know, throughout the other films. All right. So now we come to our star rating. What do you give this out of five stars, James? And how do you rank it against the uh, previous three MCU films? Uh,
1: so like Iron Man one, this is a four star movie, but a very, very sturdy four star movie. I don't ever anticipate getting to a point where I'm going to bring it down any further. Uh, I can acknowledge its problems. That's funny because that's
0: kind of exactly what we said about Murder on the Orient Express <laughs> with our star ratings of it.
1: Yeah. And then maybe it's just my thoughts on, on Brennan where it's like there are problems that he has. And it's like I can think about them after the movie. But to be completely honest, I don't know if I care at all during my watch. I just have such a good time with this movie from start to finish. I'm enjoying every second of it. And and if a movie can do that, if a movie can have flaws but still just give me a like a fun, enjoyable, emotional time from start to finish, without me really feeling like it's it's it hurts by its flaws too much, then you know that's that's the sign of of a movie that is it's just solid at its core that it's able to hold up even with a couple problems. Uh, for ranking it, uh, Iron Man one is still my favorite right here, but. Honestly, this is a lot closer to Iron Man than a lot of people have it. Like as as we continue to rank more and more, there's like I think four four or five movies that occupy like the same tier where it's like the variation is just so small. And uh, and it starts with with Iron Man 1 and Thor 1. Yeah, it's <sighs> It's such a, uh, you know, we were just repeating
0: ourselves. It's such a, just a joyful little film. And like, sincerity is really hard to, f- like, like this is hard, really hard to find in big blockbusters. Like, you know, you'll find it in dramas, but that's usually more of the kind of sad variety. Something that can, you it can have the emotion. It can have the heart, the heartbreak, the tragedy, the joy, these little, the, you know, kind little romance. And all of that just coupled with a beautiful sincerity is so rare, almost exclusively, you know, to, uh, w- within, um, Kenneth Branagh films, so I really, I'm really defensive of his movies, like because they give me these wonderful experiences that I really don't get much anywhere else. Um, So as far as my star rating, I also give it four stars, which is crazy because I I started with like around two point five and it's like slowly climbed up one half star at a time. And I was really tempted on this last viewing to give it you know four point five, but there are flaws. I think they're very real flaws, and so I think it's probably gonna stay at four forever. But it's you know a very sturdy four. Um, I think I would give Iron Man one, a slight edge over it. So right now it's going to be Iron Man, Thor, the Incredible Hulk, Iron Man two.
1: I forgot to, to rank them completely. Uh, mine is the same as yours, except I have Incredible Hulk and Iron Man two. Except you're it. wrong. <laughs> I, I don't, man, I, in the moment, I just have a way better time with Iron Well, maybe not a way better time. Cause I have come to enjoy Incredible Hulk a lot more than I, than I did before, but (laughs) Iron Man at this point, it's also the funniest of them all. And I, man, it's got Justin Hammer and Incredible Hulk doesn't have just a hammer. So.
0: (laughs) So as far as, far as the the box office uh, on its initial release, it earned 181 million domestically and 268 million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of 449 million on its $150 million budget. So not a huge hit at all. I think it probably made a tiny little bit of profit, uh, but it's, it's the lowest grossing Thor film by a good ways. And it's in the bottom five lowest grossing MCU films as well. You know, it it didn't even after the huge hit that was Iron Man two, this just didn't catch on for some reason. As far as the critical reception, um, it got like a mildly positive reception. It holds a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 57 on Metacritic, which is almost identical to what Iron Man two got. Um, Chris Hemsworth and especially Tom Hiddleston uh, got really uh, got a lot of praise for their performances. Um, uh, most seemed to, to note that it was like a decently fun, you know, summer blockbuster with just a solid human drama. Some people praised the kind of goofy, earnest Shakespearean tone, while others brought that up as a criticism. Just like it got like a decent kind of amiable reception, but for some reason, it just it didn't just you know, catch on the way Iron Man did. Like it's something about its tone and style just kind of missed with audiences. And uh, you know, that's kind of borne up in its legacy.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird. Like I do remember when it came out and then Captain America came out, I, I read a review that that was referring to both films where they said these have silly premises, but they're surprisingly like better than they have any right to be, and that made me happy. Like I, I saw plenty of people who really were like pleasantly surprised. Every, everybody was always quick to bring up like it, it's no Iron Man, and you know like maybe you know maybe it's not as good as Iron Man, but I, I still really enjoy it. As as for its overall legacy, unfortunately, I think it's only gotten worse with more iterations of Thor. Um, We'll talk about our opinions on some of the directions they've taken with the character, because they've taken many directions with the character. Uh, uh, but with, you know, Ragnarok was this huge hit and really redefined the character. And I really enjoyed Ragnarok. And, and they continued it uh, with Infinity War. And he's he's kind of become very, very late in the game, in the end game, if you will, uh, like a fan favorite. Like after Ragnarok, he went from like, a lot of people's least favorite to like a lot of people's very favorite uh, and because of that like overhaul of his character I think it's only done damage to this film where they're like oh yeah that was back when Thor was uh, boring like we finally see what Thor looks like when he's done right and and now we know why he never caught on there which I think is really unfortunate I'm just getting mad over here just to hear you say it <laughs> I, mean, I am too because I absolutely love him and I I am very much at odds with I guess the, the general consensus because I I love him here. I think he's completely unique. I think it's great to have a character who's who's funny, but not in that snarky way. And he's not a doofus or goofy or anything.
0: Yeah, it's just I, I not to be all doom and gloom, but I just don't think modern audiences, they, I don't think they know what to do with sincerity, and that makes me so sad.
1: Yeah. So unfortunately, it's legacy. Is I mean, it's kind of that that seventy-seven on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, like there's very few people who hate it although we do have like i mean even with our interaction there are people who have it as their least favorite so it's it's rarely up on on uh people's favorites list but you do have people like us who have like the there's those people in almost every group where it's like you'll, you'll find a couple at least who who really are big fans of this
0: yeah it's like even iron man 2 for all the flack it gets at least it has like its no- notoriety you know to kind of Keep as a legacy, this film almost seems kind of forgotten. Like, people just don't talk about Thor that much. Like, and if they do, it's kind of dismissive. Like,
1: it gave us the best drama of, uh, at that point. Like, it gave us Loki, dang it. Yep.
0: It's just sad. <laughs> All right. Um. So, on that really depressing note, uh, that was our review of Thor. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, again, I'd ask you to please head over to iTunes and leave us a radiant review and subscribe as well. If you want to like us on Facebook, we are there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, we are there as at Franchise Pod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James?
1: You can follow me on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. It's uh, I have been trying to post reviews more often there, especially since I've been watching more movies lately. Uh, additionally, you can follow both of us over at the Outer Rim a Star Wars group. We are both admins over there. Uh, and we are coming to the, the end of our marathon through Clone Wars, and we're trying to build up uh, into Rise of Skywalker. So if you love Star Wars and you want to talk positively about it, definitely join us over there.
0: I'm also on Letterboxd. I am there as Gabriel Green. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at Gabe A. Green and on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green. And so for next week, we're actually going to do something uh, really different. Uh, Josh from the Victims and Villains podcast reached out to us. He wants to do a crossover event between our shows. Uh, and so we'll be talking about the original 1988 Child's Play on our show. And over on their show, we're going to talk about the uh, 2019 remake. Um, neither I have, you know, i haven't even seen – I've not seen none of the Child's Play films, so that's going to be interesting. Yeah. So, so we won't be having our regularly scheduled episode next week. Uh, but the week after that, we will be back with uh, – MCU and Captain America, the first Avenger. So look forward to us talking about a, a horror film. I hope I like it. You know, I, just, I, I really don't know much about this franchise.
1: I don't either. I've never seen any of them. So I'm just excited because I will finally be able to have an opinion on a big franchise that I haven't had yet. So until next week, we will see you in the horror sequel.
0: I don't believe you're the God of Thunder, but you ought to be.